All right, good morning again. If I have not had a chance to meet you yet, I'm Alan. I have the pleasure of serving as uh, the senior pastor here as well as one of the elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you are worshiping with us today. Um, as we get started this morning, I wanted to um, just acknowledge a few things um, about our equipping classes that will be starting next Sunday and, uh, and let you know what's going to be offered. And then whenever you respond to how the Lord is leading you, you'll be a little more informed as it relates to our equipping classes. So I'm going to just kind of read to you what some of these classes or all of these classes are about. And uh, so be sure and pay attention. That way you can kind of know which one the Lord may be leading you to take. So this book will be used with our Christian story uh, class which is our core class number one. And as you go through this, you'll learn that the Bible is a unified story of Christ from cover to cover. And we're going to see how when we study Scripture all the way through, it helps us to know Jesus, even the Old Testament, and how it helps us to live for Him. So if you're interested in signing up for this one, this is called the Christian Story, core class one. And then we have this one that will be used with our third core class, and this core class is called Christian Disciplines. You may be wondering what I mean by core class. We have three core classes that we would like all of our church members to take whenever they're offered. And so this is the third one, and it's called um, Christian Disciplines. You'll see how key disciplines of the faith or habits uh, that mark a Christian's life will help us to seek to live for him, for Jesus. We'll look at practical suggestions on how you can put some of these habits into your everyday life. And so this one is called Christian Disciplines. The next one's a little bit easier to explain because it's in the title of the book, but this is Acts Part 2, and uh, this is called The Gospel Goes Out. It's going to go along with our preaching series, which starting next Sunday, we're going to jump back and resume our, set, our, our study of the book of Acts in the second part. So this book will go along with that, and you'll see how the gospel went out in the book of Acts against great odds and how the church took root around the world. So if you're interested in taking this, it's called Acts Part 2. You don't have to have taken Part 1 to participate in that. This one needs a little bit more explanation, so I'm going to read uh, an entire paragraph about this, but this is a good study as well. It's called Compassion and Conviction. Too often our political questions are framed with impossible ways for the faithful Christian, which forces us to choose between either social justice or biblical values. But we know that that doesn't have to be the case. But when we do that, it's easy for Christians to grow disillusioned with civic engagement or to fall back into tribal extremes. And so that damages the Christian public witness and it divides the church. So this book or this study is, is designed to help us see that we can understand our civic engagement as a way to obey Christ's call to both love our neighbor and to stand for biblical truth. We see that it's possible to engage the political process with both love and compassion or love and truth, so it's called compassion and conviction. The last one is a little bit easy to explain as well. Those all will be offered beginning on Sunday at 9 o'clock, and uh, you can participate in that. There's activities for children as well. This one is for women only. The other is for anybody. This is for women only, and this is the women's Bible study that will be taking place on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. And this one is on Exodus chapter 19 through 40. And so it's called God of Freedom. In this, women, you're going to study how God led the newly liberated 
Israelite nation after they got out of bondage in Egypt and how he helped them understand that their freedom is all about lives consecrated for service to God and to one another. And so you're going to revisit stories that you probably know well, and that is the Ten Commandments, things like the Ten Commandments, uh, how they worshipped a, a, an idol or a gold, a go, of a golden calf in the desert, um, and details of the tabernacle. All of this is designed to help us see how these stories teach us how to live lives today set free. So those are the five classes that are being offered. Encourage you to consider uh, one of those classes, and we'll be talking about that in just a little bit. We are finishing up, as Howard mentioned a moment ago, a three-part series called First Things First. And over the last three weeks, we've been looking to seek to focus or perhaps to refocus on the things that really matter the most. And so week one, we looked at Revelation chapter two. As we looked at Revelation chapter two, we saw that Jesus must be our first love. And if he's not our first love, then we should repent and change. The second week, which was last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and a lot of other verses. In fact, if you were here last week, you, you probably got this handout that has all of the verses we looked at. And we acknowledge that Jesus needs to be number one in our lives, and that we do that by giving him the first or the best of our time and all that we have. And then today, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and turn in uh, to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's the first book after uh, the Gospels, Acts, Romans, and then we have 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. And in this text, we're going to tie those three weeks together by remembering the Gospel. And we're going to remember the grace that God gives to us, and that it's the Gospel and the grace of God that empowers us and calls us to work hard for him. And so stay tuned and you'll see what I mean by all of that. One other thing, when you came in, you probably picked up a worship guide on the back of the worship guide as a place to take notes if you would like to go through that with us. One other thing to kind of get you prepared, um, everyone needs a, a commitment card. If you do not have a commitment card, you should just kind of raise your hand or look around you. There are some cards near you. Everybody have one? All right, good deal. On this card, you'll see several commitments that we're considering taking. And I hope that you've prayed over these already this week and that you came prepared to respond as the Lord leads you. I want to encourage all of us to consider taking these or at least part of these steps. Some of us will be taking them for the first time. In other words, you aren't doing these things yet. Others of us will be just reaffirming the steps that we are currently taking. These commitments should not be done just because Alan asked you to consider them. These should not be done just because the church is asking you to do it. That's a good start, but that's not the thing. The real reason we should do them is because the Lord, uh, the real reason we should respond is as the Holy Spirit convicts us on how to respond. All right, I'd encourage you again, I know I've brought the card up twice, I'd encourage you to kind of put it aside, we'll come back to it in just a little bit. We first need to look to God's word together. First Corinthians chapter 15 Beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 11. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is another name for Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That's a way to say dead. Then he appeared to James, that's um, the brother of Jesus. Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me, this is Paul, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I. This is like the song we just sang. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. I meant to say a moment ago, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with us, there are Bibles and chairs near you. You can grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take one of those home with you um, because that will be our gift to you. Let's look at this passage of Scripture. Look down in verse 3. We see that the whole focal point of this passage, as well as the whole entire Scripture, is found here in verse 3. It says that of first importance is the gospel. The gospel is of first importance. It is the greatest importance. If we miss the gospel, we miss everything. You may be thinking, well, what is the gospel? Would you clarify and define that? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 has done that, and we're going to look even uh, closer at that in just a moment. But what we need to see here is that the gospel is central for everything in Scripture and on all of life. I don't know about you if you have ever read through the Old Testament, but if you ever read in the Old Testament, you get to the book of Leviticus, and Leviticus, it has all of these guidelines and all of these rules. You, you look even at the, at the book of Exodus, like the ladies' class is going to, and you look at all the detail and intricacies of the explanation of the sanctuary or the, or the tabernacle of how they were to, defi- to, to put it together. You, as you read those portions of Scripture, are actually reading the story that begins to point to Jesus. You see, the gospel is throughout the entire book of the Bible. The gospel is the most important thing. It holds everything else together. If we miss the gospel, hear me here. If we miss the gospel, we miss everything. If we miss the gospel, we miss everything. It is of first importance. It is the thing that matters the most because it's Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and in his resurrection that brings salvation and the grace that we need to live out our faith. So here's what I want us to see. On your notes, you see this. We need constant reminders of the gospel. We need constant reminders of the gospel. Look at verse 1. In the ESV, I know depending on what translation you are reading, it may not have this word, but in the ESV, it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, or brothers and sisters, I would remind you of the gospel. The the Greek is not actually the word remind. It, It carries with it that connotation, but strictly saying, what does the Greek mean here? The Greek here for the word remind in English is to make known to you. But it also has a a, a secondary meaning or a a connotation of 
understanding that it's sometimes not making known for the first time. Rather, it is reasserting things that we already know. And so whenever Paul in the Greek says, I want to make known to you the gospel, he's actually saying to them, I am making it known to you again. And the reason we know that the word remind works here and that he's reminding them again is because the words that come right behind it, he says, I've preached it to you. So if he's already preached it to them, then he's not telling them for the first time. He is reminding them. He's also written a letter to them. Then that means he's preached it, right? He also helped plant the church when he was on his first missionary journey. Or uh, I may be speaking out there. When he was on one of his missionary journeys, i got to study the book of Acts a little bit closer. When he was on one of his missionary journeys, he helped start the church there in Corinth. So he has preached the gospel to them, and he is preaching it to them again. All of us need reminding of the gospel. The reason we need to be reminded of the gospel is because it's of first importance. The reason we need to be reminded of the gospel is because we, if we are not careful, we will forget it. If we're not careful, we'll focus on the wrong things. If we're not careful, we will forsake our first love. You remember first week of January, we looked at Revelation chapter 2. The letter was written to the church in Ephesus. And Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus in in Revelation 2, you're doing some really cool things. You're doing some great things. You're you're standing for the truth. You're working hard. You understand the gospel. I mean, you understand the teachings of Scripture. You're doing all these things. There's nine things they're doing. And then he says, but there's one thing I have against you, and that is you have forsaken your first love. You've abandoned your first love. And if we're not careful, we will forget the gospel We'll refocus on the wrong things and we will forsake our first love. And it's for that reason that we need reminders of the gospel. So I encourage you to remind yourself of the gospel. I encourage you to remind others of the gospel. I encourage you to let them remind you of the gospel. And I encourage you to tell others the gospel for the first time. Why is it that we have hope groups? Why is it that we serve together? Why is it we gather in corporate worship once a week? We do all those things for the glory of God, and in the midst of all of those things, as we bring glory to God, we are preaching and reminding and teaching and pointing each other back to the gospel. If you're in your hope group, and one of your hope group members shares about the difficulty they're facing, and they're just saying, man, I'm just a horrible, despicable person. If I, I need to do this, this, and this, and you hear them kind of making it more about works and less about the gospel, you can lovingly correct them and remind them of the gospel. Hold up. Just as Jacob said to us a moment ago, it's not about our track record, it's about his track record. Not Jacob's, Jesus' track record. So we need to be reminded of the gospel. In this reminding of the gospel, we see four clauses. I know some of us don't like grammar all that much, but there are four clauses in verses 1 and 2, and they all start with the Greek word O. It actually has an H sound on the front of it, so it's the word ho. When that word is used in the Greek, it means which. And so there are four times that the word which shows up. If you're reading the ESV, it only shows up three times. But in the Greek, it's actually there all four times. And so let's look at the four clauses that are found in this reminder of the gospel. It says in verse 1, it's the gospel which I preached to you. So that's the first clause. It's the gospel 
which he has been preaching. The word preach actually is better said, proclaim, announce, announce the good news. In other words, it's not just what a preacher does. It's what all followers of Jesus should do, to proclaim the gospel. The next clause we see is also in verse 1, which you received. In other words, they had received the gospel. The word received here means accept, to acknowledge need for. And so there is an aspect to our salvation that is in the past tense if you are a follower of Jesus. We have, have received the gospel. We have believed in the gospel. If you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, the gospel began our salvation. The theological word we hear, that we use here is the word justification. Whenever we trust in Jesus as our Savior, he justifies us. He forgives us of our sin and he places his righteousness upon us. It puts us in right standing with God. Along those same lines, keep looking in verse 1, the next clause we see is, in which you stand. It's this picture of firmly standing in the gospel, remaining firm, continue steadfast in the gospel. It's a present tense verb here. The gospel is growing our salvation. The theological term we use here is sanctification. In the past, we've been justified if we've placed our faith and our trust in Jesus. In the present, we are to be sanctified, to be made more and more and more and more like Jesus as he is transforming us into his image. We have friends, I'm going to speak a little code language here for their safety, and if you know who I'm talking about, then you can bring them to mind. If you don't, you can catch me afterwards and I'll tell you who I'm talking about. But we have some friends in Southeast Asia. Their eight-year-old, if you didn't see it this week, their eight-year-old son trusted in Jesus as, their, as his Lord and Savior this week. I, I love what he said, our, our friend said, about their son. Listen to this. My wife and, and I have been teaching him the gospel his whole life. We discussed and talked and explained. We just wanted to be clear as possible. He still wanted to receive there's that accepting, that receiving. He still wanted to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. He prayed. And then I love this part. Later, he was talking about it with my wife, and here's what he said. Well, that's justification. On to sanctification. I loved it. They are showing us what it looks like to remind and teach and preach and proclaim the gospel, that the gospel first comes and we need to receive it for salvation, which is justification. But that's not the end of the story. We're to live a life that an eight-year-old got in his little brain, that we are to live a life that becomes more and more like Jesus, where we are being sanctified into the image of Christ. Let's keep walking through here. The next phrase, the next phrase, clause that we see is at the beginning of verse 2, by which you are being saved. Now, scratch your head here. Wait, wait a minute. I thought you said the salvation's in the past tense. No, yes, it is in the sense that justification takes place in the past, but there's an aspect of salvation that goes on, and that is our sanctification process. Yes, it's ongoing salvation. It's more than just conversion. The verb tense here is the present passive, passive meaning that God does the work, not us and present, meaning both a present and future sense of salvation. We're already sanctified in one sense, and yet we're not yet sanctified, so we're 
being sanctified along the way. But the day is coming, guys, when we'll be fully sanctified when we get into the throne room of God. And the theological perspective we use there is glorification. There's kind of a contingency clause here. I want you to look at it and understand it in the end of verse 2. It says, all of this is true if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believe in vain. What Paul is saying, that a person who has genuinely placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, a person who's genuinely been justified, is a person that's going to be sanctified along the process, which means that a person who's trusted in Jesus will be growing and continuing to believe and act accordingly. Being sanctified involves holding on to and living out what's preached about Jesus. But in the midst of it all, remember the gospel, remember grace. It's about what God is doing in and through us. So what's the gospel? I've said these are the things that are true about the gospel. Let's look at the gospel. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus died and rose again. Jesus died and rose again. It's found in verses 3 and 4 specifically. Sometimes in Scripture, a lot of times in Scripture, there's a repetitive pattern that we find in consecutive verses. And I don't really know how to say this because I picture it in my mind more than I can say it, but there's this element of saying a thing may repeat, and sometimes it'll go A, B, and then A kind of like a little dash beside it, and B with a little dash beside it, meaning that the A's correspond to each other and the B's correspond to each other. You're like, what in the world are you talking about? Let's look at it together, all right? Like I said, it's easier to see than to try to explain out loud. Look at verse 3 and 4. In verse 3, at the end of the verse, it said, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. You see how the phrase, in accordance with the Scriptures, is there, right? Okay, so that's, that's A. Where's the second part that kind of that corresponds with it? Of a second part of A, it's found in the end of verse 4. It says that he was raised on the third day. Where's that phrase again? In accordance with the Scriptures. So what Paul is saying is that the scriptures, remember when Paul writes scriptures here, he's not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's talking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophesied that a Messiah, Jesus Christ, they didn't use the word Jesus, the name Jesus, but that a Messiah was coming and that this Messiah would come and not only would he be born, but that he would die and that he would raise again. And so we see the two parts of the gospel in verse 3 and verse 4, Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, and Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. And then the B that, that, that supports those things is found after those A's are listed. So we look at the beginning of verse 4. The proof that he really died is found at the beginning of verse 4. He was buried. He was buried. That's proof that he truly died. Okay, well, where's the proof that he truly was raised? You can look at verses 5 through 8, and we're not going to take the time to read them aloud again, but it's the fact that Jesus appeared before six individuals or groups of people in verses 5 through 8, and that is proof of the fact that he was truly raised. You can see that over 500, close to 600 total people were involved and then Paul makes this statement that most of these people were still alive, meaning if you don't believe me, go talk to them, interview them. It's verifiable. It's 
accurate what I'm saying. So what we see about the gospel is that Jesus died and he's buried, which proves it. Jesus was raised on the third day. He appeared to others, which proves it. I want us to look at the fact that Jesus died for our sins at the end of verse 3. This means that Jesus died sacrificially. He died in our place. He's our substitute. He died for our sins in our place. He died and received what we deserve. Scripture says all of us are sinners and that the wages of our sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the good news, praise Jesus, is that he took our death upon himself. He is our sacrifice and our substitute. And then the good news is not only does he do that, he's raised on the third day, meaning that he's overcome sin and death and Satan. And that brings salvation. Guys, we can have confidence in this life if you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus because of the certainty of his resurrection. Our church is called Living Hope. It's based on a passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. And we see that we can have confidence because of the resurrection of Jesus because he is our living hope. The good news is that Jesus died and rose again. It's the only thing that brings salvation. It's received by faith upon his death in our place and his resurrection Guys, I don't know if you've heard the gospel before, but I know you heard it this morning. Have you accepted the gospel? Have you received the gospel? Before taking any of these commitments on this sheet of paper, you first need to accept the gospel. Could it be that today is the day that you say yes to Jesus, what he has done on your behalf? Let's keep going through the sermon outline the next thing we see is that the gospel gives us grace to work hard the gospel gives us grace to work hard that that's found in verses 9 through 11 before we read verses 9 through 11 or look at them again let's remind ourselves what verses 8 start verse 8 started telling us in the start of verse 8 Paul tells how Jesus appeared to him, that he was one of the people that, that Jesus appeared to. But then he says, I'm not worthy of being an apostle. I'm not worthy of, of being uh, someone who is saved. Why is that? Do you remember when he was saved? He was in Acts chapter 9. You're like, okay, what is that about? He was going about his business, and his business that day was to kill and persecute the church in Damascus. Jesus shows up to him on the road to Damascus and Paul's life is altered forever whenever he sees that Jesus is the way for salvation. And so he says in verses 8 and 9, I'm unworthy of the gospel. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. The truth of the matter is each and every one of us is also unworthy. You're like, well, hold up. I've never been to Damascus and I've never killed a Christian. Or anybody else, for that matter. The reality is all of us are sinners. And therefore, we are unworthy of God's grace that is a free gift offered to us. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, Paul says, but. Anytime you see the word but in Scripture, you better look closely. But, all that is true. I am unworthy, but by the grace of God. 
See, the gospel and God's grace changes everything. And then Paul says, because of the gospel, because of God's grace in my life, he says, I have worked hard. Look down in uh, verse 10, middle of it. He says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He's not like comparing himself to others. He's just saying, I'm working hard. You're like, hold up for just a minute. I thought you said it was about grace, and now he's talking about work. He's got the thing in the right order. The grace, the gospel brings salvation. The grace, the gospel is what propels him to work hard. He doesn't work hard so he can try to somehow earn favor with God. But what he is saying is that once we understand God's grace, once we understand God's gospel, then we desire to work hard and to live for him. Remember what we found in Revelation chapter 2? In Revelation chapter 2, after Jesus corrects the church at Ephesus, he says, now get back to doing the works you were doing at first. He doesn't say stop working hard. He just says love me and allow that love for me to be the thing that propels you out to do the works that I've given you to do. So this morning, as you consider in just a few moments, whether you're going to check some or all of these boxes, you're not doing it to earn God's favor. Rather, you're doing it if you chose, choose to do it for the right reason. You're doing it because you want Jesus to be your first love. And out of that first love for him, you want to choose to do these sorts of things. I love what Paul says. I mentioned this a moment ago that it tied in so nicely with that last song that we sang. He says, I worked hard. I worked harder than all of them. But look at the end of verse 10. He says, though it was not I, it wasn't me. I wasn't working hard. It was the grace of God that is with me. He says, I can't do this on my own. It's God's grace at work within me. Reminds me of a passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. A lot of people have Philippians 4, 13 memorized, and maybe on a coffee mug, and we can talk later about whether you're applying that verse correctly or not. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, we hear Paul say the same sort of things he said here in Corinthians. Listen to what it says in Philippians 2, 13. He says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. In other words, we are to work hard because of God's grace, and when we do that, we acknowledge that it's not really me doing the work, but it's him in me. He's both giving me the, the, the energy, the desire to do the work, and the energy to do it. And so from Paul's example, we see that we're to live out our faith. We're to work hard for the gospel and with the gospel. But we must always remember that it's actually God's grace that empowers us to do so. So, I would encourage you to find a card. Everybody right now, literally get a card in your hand. Whether you feel like you're supposed to do anything with it or not, hold it in your hand so we can look at it together. On one side it says, in consideration of giving the best of my time and all that he has given me, I commit to the following. And it's got seven things there as well as the word other. Before we respond to this, let's look at the full circle again 
of this three-part series. Part one. Church, you're working hard, and that's a good thing, but you lost your first love, so get back to your first love so you can work hard. Last week, we looked at the ways that we can work hard, do the things that place God first in our life. We're going to look at these seven commitments in just a moment. But if we fill these out simply because Alan's asking you to do so, simply because the church is asking some of these same commitments, only because you feel obligated to do so, others around me think I maybe should fill this out. If you're doing any of those things, guys, you're forsaking your first love and you're just going through the motions. But if you consider these seven steps to take, and maybe some others in your life as well, and you do so within the acknowledgement of the grace of God that is the gospel, and it's the gospel that brings salvation and justification as well as makes me more and more like him in the sanctification process, then you could check yes to these things, acknowledging that these are part of the things that God is doing in your life to sanctify you to be more like him. So I would encourage all of us, literally everybody that's hearing me right now, if you're in the room with us, if you're watching online and you need access to one of these, we can get it to you later. You can email the church office, you can email Diana, we can get it to you. But I want you to consider which, if any, of these seven steps the Lord is calling you to take or to recommit yourself to. You may look at this list and go, Alan, I'm pretty much doing these things. And if I check it, then that means I'm not doing these things and somebody's going to think less of me. No, 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 don't worry about what anybody's thinking less of you about. And this is not, I've not been doing these things or I've been doing these things horribly. It's either I've not been doing these things and I want to do them or the very same check mark means I have been doing them and I feel like the Lord is calling me to continue to do these things. You may also want to feel the, oblig- uh, the, the, uh, the permission to circle words or to write little notes beside it that kind of further indicates some explanation of what commitment you're making. You don't have to do that, but you can. And then at the bottom, there's some places to mark other, and then there's a place for you to sign it. Well, what are you going to do with these cards? I'm glad you asked me that. In just a moment, during the first song of response, this is an act of response. And so I would ask you, if you feel led to do so and you're able physically to do so, that when the uh, song is when we're singing the song at any point in time, come down here to the altar anywhere on these steps or in the stage and just simply place your card. If you're unable to get out of your seat or you're physically unable to do so, either someone on your row can help you with that or during the second song when the offering plates are passed, you could drop it in the offering plate, okay? If you need more time because you weren't here last week, you didn't get the email, you need more time to pray about, feel free to do that and use this next week. But let's walk through these together. The first one says that we're asking, would you commit to reading through the New Testament using the 2023 reading guide that the church is using? Keep listening to me because I'm going to explain what I mean by all this in just a second. But here's what the guide looks like right now. We're reading the book of Acts. Some of you may be saying, but Alan, I've already got a reading plan. In fact, I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. Are you asking me to add this on top of it? No, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to engage in God's word. And so you can, in good conscience, check that mark even if you're doing another reading plan of God's Word. Don't make it about reading some uh, Christian pastor's book. That's not devotional time. You can do that if you want to. We want to read God's Word directly. And so that's what the first commitment is. If you have another plan, use that one. If not, use this one. Number two, 
Join your church family for worship every Sunday that you're in town, healthy, not working. You pretty much, that, that one is self-explanatory, but I will add this caveat. If you're physically able to do it, be in the building because worshiping in person is different than worshiping online. If you're not able to be in the building, then worshiping online is a good option as well. Number three, sign up for or become committed to a hope group. The reason I put become committed to, it might be that some of you are already in a hope group, but you're never there. You're never really engaged. And so maybe the Lord's saying, no, really, for real, don't just have your name on a roster, be there. And I understand as I look out, some of you work out of town two weeks at a time. Some of you work almost every other whatever day and you can't get to a whole group. I get that and I understand that. But if you're physically able to be in town, be a part of a Hope group, jump in a group. We have several that are going on on Mondays and Wednesdays. And here's some really good news. Hear this, hear this, hear this. We have two new groups that are starting. So if you're not in a group, this might be a good time to jump in a new group altogether. If you're in a group that Mondays and Wednesdays are horrible days for you, maybe one of these two options will work. Here they are. I don't know exactly when they're starting, but I know they're starting in the next few weeks. In fact, I think one starts in a couple of weeks. The Kaiser's Hope Group is going to meet on Sundays after the worship service. I think it's 12.30, but it's going to be on Sundays after the worship service here in the building. How amazing is that? That's a great option. And then Howard and his family, the Tiptons, are going to be uh, leading a group on Thursday nights. And we would love for you to jump in that group. So there are other groups. They're all on the, on the church website, but there are these two that are soon to start. Let's look at number four. Sign up for equipping class or inquire about a D group. I held up the books a moment ago and talked about what equipping classes we're going to be offering in, in this semester. You may be interested in a D group, and you're saying, inquire, who do I inquire with? Here's the answer. I'm glad you asked. Circle the word D group. That's your inquiry. Circle the word D group. Put your name on it. Drop it on the, on the altar. That is your inquiring about it. And what we mean by that is we're going to be kind of doing some training sessions coming up soon to get that started. Others of you may be going, but Alan, I'm, I'm already in a discipleship group. I know that we have at least one or two of our church members that are part of BSF, which is Bible Study Fellowship, and it meets here in our building, and they go through large quantities of scripture, and they meet weekly. If you're in a discipleship option that's not a part of our church family, that's okay. That's a good thing too, but we'd love you to be in a discipleship. Number five, give generously and regularly to the kingdom work through the ministry of Living Hope. We believe that the starting point is the tithe, which is 10% of our income, and that all of it should be for God's glory. So maybe you need to make a commitment there. Number six, look for ways to bless others by sharing your possessions with them. You can loan things to people, give things to people, share things with people. That, 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 there's kind of lots of ways to do that. And then number seven, Find a place or two to serve within Living Hope since God has gifted and called you to serve. There are lots of ways to serve our church family. The things I'm about to list are not the only things, but I want to highlight some things that are kind of at the top of the list, if you will. Some of the larger needs we have right now is help with preschool, children's worship and fusion. You'd have to go through a background check. You'd have to go through a little interview type process. You'd have to be checked out and all of those things, but we have some places you could serve there. Worship tech, and what I mean by that is running the lights, the sound, the, the computer, the, the, the technology that gets out the live stream, running cameras, all kinds of ways to serve within worship. We, we need some more folks to serve in those areas. Hospitality, usher, which means passing the offering plates, all kinds of things. And then other. How do I want to use other? There's lots of ways you can use other. I want to list a few things. One, 
could be salvation, that today you received the gospel. It could be baptism, which is a step of obedience. Baptism's happening on February the 12th. And if you're interested in that, sign that up. If you want to become a church member, you're not a member yet, we have a new members class happening tonight at 445. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe there's a sin you need to repent of. Maybe there's reconciliation that you need to make with someone in your life. I don't know how the Lord is leading you, but I want you to hear me clearly. Whatever steps you choose to take need to be because the Holy Spirit is convicting you, not because you feel guilty to do so. But that the Lord is leading you to take these steps. And that you see these not as an act of salvation, other than receiving salvation, that is an act of salvation. That none of these bring salvation, but rather they help you grow in your faith with Jesus' sanctification. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And as, after I pray, we're going to stand, we're going to sing, no uh, place will be passed yet. And then as you complete that card, and I'd ask the guys in the back to make sure the lights are strong enough that people can continue to see those cards. As you complete those cards, as the Lord leads you, then come lay them at the altar. You can pray at the altar if you want to. You can pray with me. Or you can wait until the offering plates are passed if you need to place it in the plate then. Let me pray for us.